Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace and how every moment of every day you care for us and you provide for us. You sustain us. You give us life. Father, every single need that we have, you know beforehand, but you have told us to come into your throne of grace boldly asking for the things that we need and you will give them to us because you love us. Matter of fact, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer that you loved him from the foundation, from before the foundation of the world. And just a verse earlier, he says that the Father loves us <coughs> in the same way that he loved the Son. Which means that you loved us from before the foundation of the world. So thank you, Father. Thank you for your love and your care for us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. That was easy for you to say. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm getting choked up and I'm getting choked up. Yeah. We are in chapter 5 of the London Baptist Confession. And um, before we dig into it, <coughs> where what was chapter one? It was uh, <coughs> of the Holy Scriptures, right? the The source of all of our knowledge about the person of God, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, without the Holy Scriptures, we would be condemned because we can see from the creation that God is good, that God is wise, that God is creative, that he is holy, that he is kind, that he is loving. <clears throat> but that doesn't give us enough information. It only gives us enough information to condemn us. So from the Holy Scriptures, we get to know who the creator of the universe is and what he wants. And then chapter two of God and the Holy Trinity. <coughs> so now from the scriptures, we have learned who God the Father is, who God the Son is, and who God the Holy Spirit is. And that they are one being in three persons. So... Chapter 1 and 2 are the foundation of it all. Thank you, my love. <clears throat> Chapter 3 is God's decree <clears throat> that God has planned and has decreed everything that will come to pass. Nothing has come to pass except that God has decreed that it comes to pass. <clears throat> When I say nothing, I mean nothing. Let's let's take something like the creation of the atom bomb. <clears throat> Where does this energy come from when you split an atom? It comes from God. He is the creator of those atoms. <coughs> 
And it was not lost upon him that the power held in them could be used for evil or used for good. <clears throat> now, part of chapter 3 in God's decree was that though he, he ordains all things and decrees all things, yet sin is in this world and he, though he has decreed it, is not the author of sin. <clears throat> there is no sin in him. <clears throat> and then it goes on to of creation in chapter 4. So God plans, then God creates. And now we're on divine providence. God plants, God creates, God brings to fruition. How does God do what he planned? A basic definition of providence, which I don't know if you guys have heard. I mean, I'm kind of a computer geek, so <clears throat> you might not have heard anything about this yet. <clears throat> There's something called AI, or chat GPT, and basically it's an entire culmination of all of the things on the internet up until 2021. They stuffed everything into a computer. And you can now ask it a question in whatever form you want, and it will spit out a seriously intelligent answer. So I was playing around with it. And I said, what does the term providence mean, biblically speaking? If I had put in worldly, it would have given me a completely different answer, which it did. But the term providence, this is the answer, the term providence refers to the way in which God governs and upholds all things in the universe according to his eternal plan and purpose. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign over all things and that he is actively involved in every aspect of his creation. Providence can be seen in various ways in the Bible. <clears throat> such as God's control over nat natural events, such as weather patterns and growth of plants, God's control over human affairs, such as the rise and fall of nations and the outcomes of battles, God's provision for his people, such as food, clothing, and shelter, God's guidance and protection for his people, such as leading them out of danger and providing for their spiritual needs. Overall, the concept of providence emphasizes God's wisdom, power, and goodness in sustaining his creation and working out his purposes in the world. It's a pretty fantastic definition. <laughs> you uh, type in definition providence just into a Google search and you get mostly things that relate to God or some sort of higher power. But you don't get something specific like this. And that, that was just a real surprise and very exciting. <clears throat> People start using this tool to learn about anything. They're going to get some pretty good information. Got to be careful because, you know, not all of the writings of the world affirm what we affirm 
or what the Bible affirms. And so I'm sure it can be used incorrectly, just like many things can be used incorrectly. But that was just a, uh, I wanted to get a good definition of providence before we dug in. <clears throat> and once again, I'm speaking so my nose is running. Excuse me. Okay. So if you have your pamphlets, your, uh, thank you, sir. You're welcome. <clears throat> Chapter 5 of Divine Providence. God, the good creator of all things, <clears throat> in his infinite power and wisdom, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, to the end for which they were created, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of his to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. <coughs> that was a mouthful. <clears throat> Hello. How are you, Ramona? <laughs> so let's see. Um, let's pick some verses here to go through. If uh, someone will pick Hebrews 1 3, <clears throat> if uh, someone will get Psalms 135 6. Someone will get Job 38.11. <clears throat> and whoever has Hebrews, go. <clears throat> he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. So obviously we're, we are talking about Jesus not the Father, but Jesus is intimately involved in creation and the sustaining of all things. <clears throat> he is the good creator of all things. <clears throat> Even when he... Okay, get ready, because this is going to hurt a little bit. Even when he became man and was a baby in the manger the power of Christ the son the power of the son of God was still upholding everything that had been created if he had for even a moment stopped upholding the entire universe would have fallen apart <clears throat> a baby yet the infinite God huh. <clears throat> so this particular paragraph in chapter 5 is broken up into sections um, 
basically uh, who who is the author of Providence, what is the foundation of Providence. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be going through this a little quickly because we've got seven paragraphs to get through. <clears throat> um, so, God being the creator of all things, um, his foundation, or the foundation of providence is based in his infinite power and wisdom. That uh, there are essential aspects of what God does with his creation. He upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all of it. Everything he's created. <clears throat> um, and that he does so by the counsel of his own will. Like Ephesians says, to the praise of his glorious grace. <clears throat> That he actively works in the world even today. Then, <clears throat> what is its extent? What is the extent of God's providence? It, ex it extends to all creatures and things, even from the greatest to the least. Let's see. Yeah. Doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things from the greatest even to the least. And how does he do it? <clears throat> By his most wise and holy providence. Okay, so we're going to use a term, providence, to define providence. We're kind of told not to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> but... <clears throat> Considering that the definition of providence in every aspect that I've researched, no matter where I've searched to get a definition of providence, it always has to do with some outside force. Whether you be they believe in God or not, whether they believe it's fate or destiny or something, it's always acknowledging that it is outside of human control. <clears throat> so, using providence and the definition of providence, you know, it may be circular, but um, everybody knows what the word means. And those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness are the ones who are going to say, ah, it's fate. Ah, it's destiny. Those who've had <clears throat> their hearts of stone turned into hearts of flesh. Those who have been brought from death to life. Those who have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins they are going to recognize that that outside force is none other than the creator of the universe, God himself. <clears throat> Psalm 145.17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, <clears throat> gracious in all his works. So uh, let's see. 
Who had uh, Job 38.11? Go for it. Okay. For who shut in the seas with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I make clouds its garment and thick darkness, its swaddling band, and prescribe limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus, for, thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Hmm. So providence doesn't necessarily only pertain to his people, it pertains to his entire creation, all of it. You know, it's been said that <clears throat> humans are the only animal, which I have a problem with that saying anyway. So let's say humans are the only thing in creation that says no to God. <clears throat> and who had Psalm 135? Go for it. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. So that goes to his most wise and holy providence. It goes to the fact that he does it to the immutable counsel or by the immutable counsel of his own will. <clears throat> okay. So we've talked about who the author is, the foundation, the essence, its nature, and its design. God directs and governs all things to the end for which they were created. Hmm. Sounds a lot like the decree chapter that we read two weeks ago. <clears throat> because God created things for a purpose. His decree. So the providence is his carrying out of his plan. The Apostle Paul writes, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. <clears throat> Sounds like he's the science. He invented science, right? <laughs> science... <clears throat> um, I just thought yeah. Fauci was going to be very hurt to know. God gave the wisdom to man yeah. to bring the science to That's life. Right. And what was it? What was the mother of sciences when when they when they coined that phrase, the mother of sciences? Do you know what it was? Theology. Theology. <laughs> <laughs> the study of God is the mother of all sciences. Because it's his creation. Mm -hmm. Anything that we study in this world, we're studying aspects about God, even though we don't realize it most of the time, or even if we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. <clears throat> so, if... 
God's decree is him planning it out. If God's creation is to bring it um, into existence, and then God's providence is to bring about the things that he planned, you could kind of think of creation as the stage on which that whole plan comes into being. That whole, frankly, plan of redemption comes into existence. <clears throat> okay, so plan of redemption. If the plan of redemption, if the, the, uh, the covenant of, what was it, grace? Was that, no, which was the first covenant with God and himself? God the Father, God the Son, God the, God the Spirit, that covenant between themselves that they would make the earth. You know, so you get the covenant of works, which is Adam. But before that, there was a covenant in themselves. And that was to show God's glory in all aspects of it. Whether that be through um, creation, meaning his intelligence, his wisdom, his power, also his justice and his grace and his mercy how can you show justice if everyone is righteous how can you show mercy if people don't need to be shown mercy how can you show grace if people don't deserve to be punished for sins that they've committed in order that all of his attributes are glorified in the way that they ought to be, he had to ordain sin. That does not mean he is the author Correct. of sin. But he had to ordain. And when I say had to, I mean from himself. He was not being acted upon by an outside force that made him say, okay, well, i got to make sin a part of this. No. It was... He had to, because of his own nature, because of the, const the constraints of who he is as God. Wait a minute, I just said that God is constrained. Absolutely God is constrained. God cannot lie. Right. Is that a constraint? Yes, it is a constraint. But it is a constraint that is based upon his nature and his nature alone. Right. <clears throat> is he constrained himself? that? He doesn't need to. Because God is holy. Sin cannot come from him. He's not, he doesn't need to constrain himself. It's outside of his nature to have sin exist in himself. And so, yeah. <laughs> it's another point where our brains can start to hurt a little bit if we think too long. I always think of it like <clears throat> the thing is what it is, and it has to act according to what it is. Exactly. A tree, apple tree produces apples, and God being who he is, and when you study him and you look at his attributes, he has to be what he is and all those things that he is love, mercy, justice, mm -hmm. and all those. He must be those things. That's he right. cannot not stop <clears throat> doing those things, otherwise, he wouldn't be God. Right. And scripture says that he never changes, right? Correct. All good gifts come down from the Father of lights with whom there is no change or shifting shadow. 
if he were to change in any way, he would not be immutable, therefore he would not be God. So, how do we get... I know we said God is not the author of sin, but has anybody tried we'll get to figure there. that out? Or? We'll get there. Okay. I, th I think, actually, we'll get there today. Okay, um, let me check the time. Hmm. We're still only on one. Okay, let's uh, speed it up a little bit. <clears throat> God directs and, con and governs all things. How? According to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. Hold on. Okay, his foreknowledge. Let's get one thing straight. God does not look through the corridors of time and say, oh, Devin, he's a pretty good guy. He's going to choose me. So therefore, I'll elect Devin. Nope, it's not how his foreknowledge works. Right. <laughs> how can God know everything that's going to happen? Well, he's God. He's omniscient. He knows all things. Well, how is it that he knows all things? Well, frankly, if he planned everything, that's the reason he knows everything. Because he planned every bit of it from before the foundation of the world. So Devin, who put his faith in Christ, did so because of Devin's choice to do so. And because of God's choice that Devin would do so. Not... Yeah. Oh, hmm, Devin, I didn't see that coming. Okay, I guess I got to include him in the elect. Uh-uh. From before the foundation of the world. So you, you just made a, another whole set of questions. I'm sure I did. He has something to do with his being elect? No. Because you, you mentioned him in that. I know. Okay. Uh, he has nothing to do with him being elect. He does have something to do with responding in faith to God's effectual calling, which is something we'll get into in like chapter 10. So is that, see that thing about the providence of God is what means the reason I'm here. Mm -hmm. I, you know, basically I'm thinking I didn't have much to do with it according to the way I've understood it so far. But now I'm going, wait, I do, mm -mm. no, okay. No, I don't want to confuse that okay. at all. You did, you did contribute something to your own salvation. Let me, let me give you that, okay? I'll give you that. But the only thing that you contributed to your own salvation was the sin that, re that required a sacrifice. Okay. That's it. Okay. In terms of God bringing us to new life and enabling us through the Holy Spirit to respond to him. Mm -hmm. He's not saying that at any point I choose and then God takes over. It's right. always God doing the work first Correct. before I come to faith. Correct. Oh, okay. Oh. Why does he do this? It's to the praise of his glorious, the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. It. That's the whole reason why God has done any of this creating and sustaining and redeeming. It's to the praise of his glory. All of his glories. His, the, the glory of his um, 
power, the glory of his justice, <clears throat> the glory of his grace, and the glory of his mercy. You know, in, in Ephesians it says that uh, the reason that we are redeemed is to the praise of his glorious grace. And it says, so that in the coming ages, we, and I'm going to paraphrase, are going to be the trophies of his grace. So that anybody wants to know, I don't even know why anybody would need to know because we're like all there and who knows what God has in store for us. But if anyone wanted to know what does God's grace and mercy look like, he would point to those whom he redeemed in Christ and see, say this, this is what my glory, this is what my grace and my mercy will accomplish. Okay. So this, this first paragraph completely wipes out the possibility that things happen by chance or by fate. Chance or fate are sometimes in this world thought of as that, that outside power or influence, but chance is not comforting. Fate is not comforting. Karma. Karma. Not comforting. Because if I... <laughs> oh my goodness. If, <laughs> my dharma would be pretty bad if it were up to my karma. Um, but with God, His loving kindness, His mercy, His grace, uh, the fact that He is in control of all things, and that He loves His people, so much so that He sent His Son to die for their sins so that they could be made the righteousness of God. Now, that's an outside power and an outside force that brings comfort, that brings joy and peace to the soul of a weary sinner. And then you know the beauty of that? When we think of God and his relationship with us, we don't think of him, somebody that is beyond us. We think of friends. It's mm -hmm. really that personal, like mm -hmm. I'm talking with somebody next to me. Mm -hmm. And that's a comfort that, oh, I'm not alone. He is there right. to guide me and mm -hmm. feel him. We used to feel him. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we got to, man, I stayed on paragraph one for way too long. Um, and I'm really hoping that we can get to paragraph five because it is my favorite of pretty much the whole West, or the London Baptist. Okay, I'm not going to ask any more questions. Okay, all right. <laughs> Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly so that not anything befalls any by chance or without his providence. Yet, by the same providence, he ordereth them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. 
Let me make this really simple. God works through means. Second causes. Okay, God is the cause of all things. But he works through second causes. How will they believe unless someone preaches? How will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they you know, that whole that whole portion of go? Evangelize. Tell the world about the gospel. We're the second causes, guys. We're the means by which God brings forth salvation in other people. So is it right to say that basically providence is God working out his sovereignty through the systems he has created? Great definition. Yes. I love that because it gives, it gives freedom to operate. Our world operates under the laws of science. And so if you run a red light, you're going to get hit. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> There's inertia and science yep. and, and like, two things yes. colliding. And, like, yeah, so it gives freedom for that to happen under the systems he has established, yet that is providence. Mm -hmm. So let's um, make a very, very simplistic idea of what means is or secondary causes a nail gets driven into a piece of wood that was the effect what is the secondary cause of that nail being driven into the piece of wood the tool the hammer was swung and by its inertia by its mass by its force the nail is driven into the wood but who was the primary cause? The human behind it. The human behind it, the builder. The one who is swinging the hammer, right? So means is really just another way of saying the tools that are used to bring about the things that the first cause intends to bring about. It's a simplistic um, illustration, but I think it works anyway. There was a... Me and an old friend were having a discussion on something like this in regards to Paul, or I think it was Paul, whenever he would go and like they would take like cloths of his clothes or they would touch him and be healed and stuff. Mm -hmm. He was technically the hammer. Mm -hmm. It was all God doing it. That's right. But Paul was the 100% the hammer. And yes. they were feeling the effects of what God did. Paul was just the means that was being used. Exactly right. Yeah. That's good. Um, so, paragraph two, although it starts talking about the, the secondary causes, is really more concerned about the fact that secondary causes and primary causes can work together and that they are not contradictory, contradictory to each other. How can we say that um, I went and witnessed to someone and that person believed, but yet it was the Holy Spirit who converted their heart. Those things are hard. Because I was the means by which that happened, but was that my own power? No, it wasn't my own power. I was being um, obedient to preach the gospel, right? Well, 
that's a that's a that's an easy one to reconcile in our own minds because we do recognize that salvation only comes by the Holy Spirit. But what about um, let's say the Assyrians? That God caused the Assyrians to come and punish Israel. The Assyrians, a much more sinful place. Plague people who had no compunction over murdering. I mean, just all sorts of wickedness. And yet God used them to punish his people. What does he say? He says, but once that part is done, I'm going to punish them too. He uses the sinfulness of man to accomplish his own ends. Let's look at Joseph. What does Joseph say to his brothers in Genesis 50? Say it out loud. You meant it for evil, but he did He intended it for good. This is a perfect example of providence being worked out because of God's decree through means by the sinfulness of human beings. To make it work perfect. Is the powder and your clay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so paragraph three, God in his ordinary providence, ordinary, regular, in his regular providence, maketh use of means. Yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. <clears throat> in other words, yes, God has put himself in this box. He usually brings about his decrees by use of secondary causes, by means, but that doesn't mean he has to. Let me ask what could fire do? Destroy stuff. Destroy stuff. <clears throat> heat a room for you. Can heat a room. You could cook a meal. There are normal things that fire does, right? If you are near a fire, like my son was last night at a party, he came home and he had the smell of fire on him. It smelled fantastic. I was like, come here, let me smell you. <laughs> Working against those means, those, those, um, those means, yes, against them. Anybody remember the story? Daniel and the three children in the furnace. Um, the normal means of that fire is to consume them. They were not touched. As a matter of fact, when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. The normal means was that the flames would engulf them and consume them. God worked against the normal means in that case. 
and he is free to do so. All right, paragraph four. The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that his determinate counsel extends even itself even to the first fall and all other sinful actions, both of angels and men, and that not by a bare permission, which also he most wisely and powerfully bounds and otherwise orders and governs, in a manifold dispensation to his most holy ends, yet so, as the sinfulness of their acts proceeds only from the creatures and not from God, who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. <coughs> wow. Another mouthful. Simply put, sin in this world is decreed and ordered by God. Yes. Even the fall of Adam was planned. Redemption Oh, that's what it was. It was the covenant of redemption. The first covenant before the covenant of works with Adam is the covenant of redemption that God, in his own counsel, determined to redeem people he hadn't even created yet. The covenant of redemption. <clears throat> Genesis 3.15 it's known as the Proto-Evangelion, proto the first preaching of the good news. The seed of the woman will be an enmity with the seed of the serpent. He will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. Even from Genesis 3.15, it was clear that God had planned this from the very beginning. Again, he can't show his mercy and grace if there's no one to show his mercy and grace to. Yet, even though he planned it, the sin itself does not come from God, it comes from the creatures. It proceeds only from the creatures. Because God is most holy and righteous. Neither is nor can be the approver or author of sin. Okay. My favorite part. So, verse, uh, uh, paragraphs 1 through 4 are telling us about providence itself. Where does it come from? What's it about? How does God work it? Now we get into the section that deals with what effect does it have in the world? And this first part has to do with its effect on the redeemed. The second part in 6 has to do with its effect on those who are not redeemed. And 7 has to do with its effect on the church as a whole. <sighs> okay. I hope I can do this one justice because this is my favorite one. 
the most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruptions of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin <coughs> and for other just and holy ends so that whatsoever befalls any of his elect is by his appointment for his glory and for their good. How many times have you found yourself in sin and you know, that thought pops into your head. I did it again. I did it again. Why do I keep on doing this? I know I'm in Christ. Because I love him. I wouldn't be concerned about my sin if I didn't love him. Why do I keep on doing this? And with Paul, we echo... The good that I want to do, I do not do. What I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Who will save me from this body of death? Who stopped that? According to this, God often leaves his children. Let me be clear, it is only for a season. And we are never outside of his control or power or of his loving hand. But he does allow us to go through temptations. He does allow us to sin. <laughs> exactly because he loves us. There are reasons that he does this. One, maybe because you're rehearsing a sin in your mind that you had done before you were a believer. So this falling into sin to chastise them for former sins. Hey, that thing that you did, you're saved now, quit it. Stop falling into that. You don't have to obey the passions of your flesh. You keep falling into it. Stop it. Chastisement. Notice it doesn't say punishment. Because punishment is punitive. Chastisement is with an eye towards redemption. Towards forgiveness. Towards restoration. Or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts. My heart is black and wicked. I don't even know the depths 
to which my heart is affected by the curse of sin. Right. And every time I find myself in sin, I recognize just how much more sinful I ever am that, than I ever thought I could possibly be. Now, what's the purpose? So that they may be humbled. And to raise them, once you're out of this mire of sin, he lifts you up and raises you to a more close and constant dependence upon him. To depend more deeply on the love of God. To recognize that His love is what supports us and keeps us. There's another reason that He allows it to happen. So that we are more watchful in the future against any occasions of sin. So that when we get to that point, hmm, this is where I started sinning last time. I'm not going there again. I'm not going to do that again. Well, sometimes we do it again anyway. But that's because we're stupid dogs that return to their vomit. <laughs> to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin. And for other just and holy ends, what those are, I'm sure we could find them if we went, took the time or had the time to go through all the verses. But here it is. So that whatsoever befalls any of God's elect is by his appointment. Two reasons. First and primarily for his glory and for our good. What kind of comfort does this give you? When you find yourself in sin, know that even that sin that offends God, that grieves the Holy Spirit within you, even that sin is for the glory of God. Stop your sinning. It is not good. God hates your sin. But when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, yes, sir. Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. Job said, if only there was someone who could put his hand on me and on the Father, be an intermediary for us. Guess what, Job? There is. It's Jesus Christ the righteous, whoever lives to intercede for us. What hope that true understanding of providence gives us. Not fate or destiny that has no ability to give us hope because fate and destiny are based upon the... What? Based upon nothing. They're based upon chance. Providence is not based upon chance. It is based upon God's sovereign love for his creation, of whom... We are the only ones who are the image and likeness 
of God and are given into this world to spread his image and likeness across this world so that he might be glorified. Okay. All right, so in the way that he cares for his children and allows them to fall into sin, um, those who are not his, um, we know what I'm saying there. That was a that was a churchism, you know. That was a, a term that kind of we all should understand. Those that are not his, I'm sorry, everybody is his. The whole world is his. We're talking about those who are not in Christ when we say that. As for the wicked and ungodly men whom God, as the righteous judge, for former sin doth bind and harden. Yes, God binds and hardens hearts. From them he not only withholds his grace, whereby they might have been enlightened in their understanding and wrought upon their hearts, but sometimes he also withdraws the gifts which they had. And exposes them to such objects of their, as their corruption makes occasion of sin. And withal gives them over to their own lusts and temptations of the world. And the power of Satan whereby it comes to pass that they harden themselves. Under those means which God uses for the softening of others. The same things that God uses in our lives for his glory and our good are the things that God uses in others' lives to harden their hearts. We were having a discussion at home about my aunt, who is in the hospital because of COVID. And my daughter said, I'm so concerned that if Rosie dies, that Grandma, who we've been seeing that there's something going on in her, maybe she is... Maybe she's starting to believe this Jesus stuff that if she dies, she's going to reject God completely. That may happen. That may very well happen. The same means that he uses to bring people to himself can be those very means that causes others who are not his elect push away from God, to curse God, to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So I can't ask the question, but I will make a statement. And that is repentance. How does that play? Who is going to repent? That's what I want to know. Only those who have been brought from death to life. But that's providence again. Got it, brother. Okay. Paragraph 7, and then we're done. As the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures, so after a more special manner, it takes care of his church and disposes of all things to the good thereof. Makes sense. What's the church made up of? His elect. From the beginning of time till now, till the consummation of all things. And if he's using 
all of these things for his glory and for their good, and the church is made up of those elect, he specially cares for his church and the goodness thereof. Because the elect are those who populate his church. Oh my goodness, divine providence. Who ever thought that it would be such a comfort and an encouragement to our weary souls to know that he will never leave us or forsake us. That he can never reject us. Not because of anything that we do, but because of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross where he said, it is finished, paid in full. What a great God we serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you and your love are amazing. Why you chose us, we will never understand, because it is not even in us as to why you chose us. You chose us because you chose us. It was your choice. It was your decree. It was your will. It was for the glory of your amazing, wonderful grace. Father, let us never take your grace and your kindness for granted. Let us never think that we are alone or without your care. Paul says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things to come, etc., etc., will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you that we have the hope that all things work for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.